You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Good morning, everyone. My name is Wesley. Uh, I'm glad you guys made it this morning. I uh, have to admit, I forgot that there was a time change last night and uh, stayed up a little later than I wanted to. And then I woke up this morning. I was wondering why my kids weren't awake yet. And it was kind of a glorious thing. And uh, then I realized why, because we lost an hour of sleep. So I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I'm glad that we're able to be here and worship this morning as we close out our study in the book of Ephesians. Now, if you're joining us uh, perhaps for the first time today, we've been walking through this letter that Paul writes um, and in And we've been walking through it for about 17 weeks now. So it's been quite a journey uh, to get through Ephesians. Today we're going to wrap it up. We're going to close it up with this final benediction. Now, um, with these parting words from Paul, it it sparked in my memory as we thought about this morning as some of the things that we celebrated were some monumental days uh, in, in the life of King's Church, right? Things like weddings and proposals. These are wonderful days, and they're very special days, and it actually reminded me this weekend as I was thinking about it of my own proposal day. I can remember when Abby and I got engaged. There we go. Look at those youngins. Um, This is a reminder why I have a beard, Uh, because I would still like a teenager uh, today, and I'm probably going to have to have a beard for the rest of my life. I just got that young face look, but um, we were going to get engaged, and and we did get engaged. uh, I ended up doing it at the very same spot that we first met, so I I took her back to our college campus, the place where we met, uh, tried to be symbolic as much as I could here. Um, We we set a location. I created a geocache location. Anybody know what geocaching is? Okay, yeah, yeah, some of you like to do that. Uh, Back in the day, we did before I had kids. Um, uh, but we, we, we had this uh, geocache location, and at the location was actually a scrapbook that I made. Guys, I'm just giving you some great advice here. Uh, I, I made a, a scrapbook, and what it did was it detailed all the letters of encouragement that we wrote each other. Handwritten letters from the very first moment that we met. And at the end, I know some of you girls are like, man, I, I need to do this more often. Um, and at the very end was the final letter. And that final letter was an invitation. And in that invitation was, was then symbolized by me dropping down on one knee. Now, this was a very nerve-wracking moment. For Abby, it was probably incredibly exciting. Uh, for me, it was terrifying with the proposal, what if she says no? Uh, which I'm not going to say that was her first word out of her mouth, but it was actually. Um, I think it was more of a shock, like, no, like this is happening. But she did say it. Um, <laughs> regardless, she followed up with a yes, so it was all right. Um, but, but that symbolized, that, that moment of me getting down on a knee it was an invitation. It was a proposal symbolizing this undying, this lasting, this constant love that I had for her. And in that moment, what I was hoping and did receive was a response from her, a a response in the same way of a constant and undying love towards me. And what we actually find today at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is is very similar. We we find an invitation of a proposal of sorts here that after he's explained in the book of Ephesians all, as we go back to chapter one, all the spiritual blessings that are already ours in Christ, meaning that all the things that our hearts long for, every benefit and every joy that our heart needs and longs for, those things are only met in Christ. And Christ alone meets those things. And, and what Paul is drawing on in the very last phrase of this book is with all those spiritual blessings, the proposal that the invitation is to respond with a constant incorruptible love for Jesus. 
that when we truly grasp how great he is and how much he has done for us in Christ, which is a big phrase that we see repeated over and over the book of Ephesians, we truly grasp just how much God loves us and all the spiritual blessings that are ours in him, our response to that proposal, our response to that invitation should be to have an incorruptible love, a constant love for him, an undying love for Jesus. And that's really our main idea as we close out this letter today. As we look at this benediction, right? We do benedictions every week here at King's Church. And a benediction is, is, is essentially a, an expression uh, of blessing. It's an expression of goodwill. And what Paul's doing here is he's saying, these are words that God is speaking over you. These are words of blessing for you, church. They're about you. They're for you. They're of you. And it's easy sometimes when we come to the end of a letter like this and we see benedictions and uh, what Becca just read just a minute ago and we can see, well, it seems like Paul's just kind of superficially wrapping up his letter with a bunch of niceties, but they're not that. They're more than that. And in fact, we don't want to rush over these words, but we want to see that what they're pointing to is really a life-giving prayer for the church, a calling back to see all the benefits that Christ has already given them and to respond in love. And so our outline is going to flow straight from this passage. That's what we're going to see is that this benediction is going to remind us. It's going to be a great summation in a way of all the themes that we've covered. Not all the themes, but some of the major themes that we've covered in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at five blessings from this benediction. A benediction, a blessing of community, a blessing of peace, of faith, a blessing of grace, and then finally, a blessing of love for the church and how we respond to these things. So let's go ahead and take ourselves to the text where Paul essentially, just like that proposal with my wife, he's taken us back to the place where we first met. He's reminding them once again of everything that is theirs in Christ that can change their life to have a constant love for him. He says in verse 21, after he's told them of his prayer and their encouragement to pray for him, he says, so that, transition here, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Paul's sending someone. He's sending this man, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, and he will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. You see, one of the great themes of the book of Ephesians, and really even how we've titled this, this, uh, this sermon series, is it reminds us not only who the church is, but what it looks like to live out as the community of faith of how we should be a community of people. And that's actually on display here with this final benediction with this man named Tychicus. Paul is sending him, and we don't know a ton about this guy, relatively speaking. He didn't really have a, an impressive platform for himself. History doesn't record anything major about him. But what we do know about him is that he was coming to encourage the church that perhaps he had a calling as, as Paul's scribe or, or even his secretary. But what we do know is that Paul trusted this man. He trusted him so much so that he was his mailman. He was his delivery guy. And he delivered several of the New Testament letters to churches. He served alongside the Apostle Paul. The point is simply this, that as great as Paul was, and, and as strong as he is in the Lord, he is no different from you and me. Paul needed a relationship. Paul needed people with him. Paul needed to understand the blessing of being part of the community of saints, the fellowship of other believers. And that is what the early church thrived on. And what Ephesians symbolizes so well for us is this togetherness that the church had, a, a sacrificially other-centered community. 
Tychicus may have never had his name in lights, but what is said of him here is what is said of us, that we are beloved members of the family of God, that we are loved by our heavenly father, and we are beloved brothers and sisters in the family of God. And by very nature here, he says that he is also a faithful minister of all, a faithful servant of all. Tychicus models for us what it looks like for us to serve one another. He's there for Paul. He's there for the church. And this is true of all of us because of that phrase in Christ that we see repeated time and time again in the book of Ephesians. Because we are united with Christ, we are also united to one another. We are united to his church. We are joined at the hip and heart with each other. And we can go back to Ephesians chapter four and we can see this so beautifully. This oneness, right? There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Jesus prays this very thing for the church before he goes to the cross in John 17. He prays that our community, our connectedness, our togetherness, would be so, so deeply spiritual that it would actually mirror the togetherness and the connectedness of the Trinity. That our togetherness that we express each week when we come into a room like this is deeply theological and spiritual because it mirrors the kind of unity that exists between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we come into a place like this, we're not just here to socialize and high five one another and shoot the breeze with one another. When we come together, there's something beautiful. There's something spiritual about this experience. There's something theological about what's happening here. Paul says that we're, we're connected, and when we're connected together, there's a reason for that. And the point is that is what Tychicus models for us, that we would be faithful ministers to all, that we'd serve one another, that we'd minister to one another as the body. In, in Ephesians 4, he goes back and he continues, and he says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. Out of this oneness, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. What does Ephesians remind us? It reminds us that every single one of us have been gifted by Jesus through the Spirit. That there's no such thing as a non-gifted Christian. Each and every one of us who has placed our faith in Jesus Christ is gifted beyond our wildest imagination for the precise reason to minister to one another and to serve one another and to build up one another. Atticus models this for us. He comes and he encourages and he comforts the church. Paul sends him essentially because Paul cares about this church and he wants to encourage their hearts. The reality is comfort and encouragement can come in many different forms, but it's very simple here. What Tychicus is doing is he is coming to share how Paul is doing so that the church could pray more intently for him. That's as simple as it gets right here. That the way that we can be faithful ministers as a church to one another is simply to, to model our lives after this. To look around right now at the people behind you, in front of you, beside you, to know that even though we're in all different places in this life, I can assure you of this, the people within arm's length of you, they want to be cared for by someone. They want someone in their life that knows what they're facing right now and going through. And Paul's encouragement for us, the blessing of community is that we too can be faithful servants of one another. That we can take the time, we can make the time as a church to be informed and interested in what's going on in each other's lives. It's really not a deep, like, hidden meeting here. Paul literally is saying, I'm sending him so that he may give an update about how I'm doing so that you can actually pray for me. Is it true, though, sometimes when we think about ministering to one another that prayer is one of the last things we think of? It's like the consolation prize. 
It's like, you know, if I, if I can't do anything for you, I'll pray for you, right? It's kind of like, you know, those, those game shows where it's like, oh, you didn't win the car, but here's a toaster. You know, it's like, here's the Constellation Prize or the McDonald's like scratch off lottery. Oh, you didn't win the million dollars, but here's a small fry on us, right? It's like, you get the Constellation Prize. It's like, well, you know, if I can't do anything else, it, at the very least I can do is I can pray for you. But what Paul is reminding us here is that is the blessing of community is prayer is never the least thing we can do. It's the most we can do for someone. It is actually what everything else flows from. Paul is encouraging us that the way we are faithful to one another is simply by knowing what's going on in each other's lives to the point we actually can pray for each other. That we can actually uh, cry out to God for one another. This is what Paul needed. This is what he was yearning for, longing for. And this is the beauty of the partnership and the connection that we can have as a church. That we can be known and we can know one another and that we can pray for one another. It is the blessing of community that is throughout the book of Ephesians. And that creates in our hearts an undying love for Jesus. The second blessing is one of peace. Notice verse 23 after he explains that Tychicus is coming. He says this, peace. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Ephesians reminds us that one of the greatest evidence of God's power put on display in the church is the spiritual blessing of peace. It's something our, our, our world learn, yearns for so much. And Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 20 reminds us of how God can do this for us. He says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. One of the greatest evidences of God's power displayed through his church is that he could take broken people and heal us and put us together. And that happens to the cross. It is at the cross where Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who lived up all to the standards of, of God and, and, and what he holds as his holy standards, and Jesus goes and he takes our place. That hostility is placed on him so that we can receive his peace and what is more beautiful about this is what is more striking about this is not only does he grant us peace with him, but he makes it possible for us to be in a community with people who otherwise we would never live our lives together with and be united as one. You see, this is a blessing to know the peace of God as Paul is encouraging them at the end because this is something that is so far-fetched in our society. We, we want peace, but we can't obtain it. Things are marked by hostility and division. Think of just the billions of resources and dollars that we try to spend on things like diplomacy and law enforcement and social work and arbitrators and mediators. These are good things. But we do it because we, we're just trying to keep ourselves from strangling each other, right? It's not true peace. It's what our hearts long for. But the, but the inevitable truth the Bible reminds us is because the, 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 the reason why we have no peace is because of our own pride. At the end of the day, the reason why we look down on other people in our lives is because we think we're better than them and that they're not serving our self-interest. We put up dividing walls. We, we create hostility because the natural tendency of our human heart is to rejoice in the things that make us better than other people. And that creates more division in our society. It creates more self-worth in ourselves apart from Christ and it makes it hard to love people who aren't like us. And this is what Paul's getting at in the book of Ephesians, that instead of hostility and division that is so rampant in our world through our pride, and so easy to diagnose, but it's, it's really hard to come up with a solution, isn't it? When we think of all kinds of solutions in our world that can help restrain evil, 
But the reality is, no matter how many Miss American pageant winners tell us that they want world peace, it's not going to happen, right? Because the Bible says there's only one way we get peace, and that's through the cross. Every other way is superficial. Every other way is just an enlightened self-interest. Every other way we have superficial peace in this life is just saying, well, I'll help you as long as it doesn't hurt me. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He goes to the cross and he takes upon that burden for us to break down the selfishness of pride that only the cross can bring about true and lasting peace. So today, if we're having a hard time feeling this blessing of peace, perhaps we feel superior to other people, perhaps we're struggling this morning with feeling like we're better than others. We have hatred in our hearts, bitterness towards others. Look to the cross today. Be reminded this morning that the only way that we can have true peace in our hearts is because Jesus Christ went there for us. He had to, to create a new humanity, to bind us together in a place where we could be sitting next to people who otherwise we would never have anything, interest, or common because of Christ and his peace. We can become one as the church. You see, the blessing of peace that he's bestowing on the church here is a reminder that the reason we can have a constant abiding love for Jesus is because he makes enemies his friends. He takes those, all of us who were once his enemies, and he makes us friends. When none of us had the, 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 the position to strike a deal with God to be his friend, he struck his son for us. And Isaiah reminds this, the prophet Isaiah reminds us of this, that Jesus Christ was the one who was pierced for our transgressions. He was the one crushed for our sins. The punishment that was upon him, guess what it brought us? Peace. The blessing of peace is knowing that Jesus Christ can make his enemies his friends through the cross. And that blessing creates a love for him and a love for those around us. But notice he also gives us the blessing of faith that is so clear in the book of Ephesians. He says, peace be to the brothers and sisters and a love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't want you to just love, but I want you to love with faith. Faith in what? Faith in our God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. See, the essence of faith is clinging to and relying on Jesus for our salvation. And back in chapter one, he reminds them, the church, he says that, hey, I, I commend you for your faith. But notice here at the end, he's not, he's not, the focus isn't on them. The focus is on the giver of faith. The focus is the one who, who gives us faith. He says, where does faith come from? It comes from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The excellent word that he is speaking here in this benediction for the church is to remind them that faith in Jesus is not something that we can conjure up and muster up all within ourselves. To, to love Jesus is to have faith in him. It is a gift. To, to have faith in him means that we rest in the work of another. We rest in what Christ has already done on our behalf. Nothing of what we can do on our own. And that's what Ephesians 2 reminds us. We're going back to that glorious passage of Ephesians 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. A faith that rescues, a faith that saves is one that rests in Jesus. It's one that reminds us that it's not of our works, it's not of our worthiness, it's not of anything that we can do. It is all of what he has done for us. It is resting in something. And look, the reality is if you're in this room today, perhaps you don't have a, a, a background in, in faith in Christianity, but I want to just encourage you for a moment and to know this, that you have faith in something. Because in this world, we cannot operate apart from faith. 
all of us. We have faith because in order to know anything with any level of certainty is to have faith. In order to to have any level of knowledge in this life is to believe in something, to have faith in something. So the question for us today is not whether or not we have faith or we're a person who can experience faith. The question is, what are we resting our faith in? What are we putting our faith in this morning? The truth is that we all deal with this if we want to know anything. An example of this would be if, you, if you're uh, an employer here today, or perhaps you have someone that, that works under you, and, and your boss comes to you and he says, hey, I need you to hire someone. Well, how are you going to know you hire the right person? How are you going to have that in-depth knowledge that you're just going to hire the right person? What are you going to do? What are you going to do is reasonable. You're going to gather the facts. You're going to gather data. You're going to get references. You're going to get the resume. You're going to interview the, the person. But all of that will only lead you to a place of probability. All of that will lead you to a place where you think you might have the right person for the job. But you know what you have to do after that? You have to become vulnerable in the process. You have to trust. You have to hire the person. And only then will you know for a deal of certainty whether or not that person was right for the job. You see, in life, we want to know something before we commit to it, but that's not how faith works. Faith is that we have to take the step of committing to have a, a deal of certainty in this world. And that is why it takes God's work in us that we have to see that faith in Jesus is resting in what he has done, that we can't believe in Jesus without God's help. And the the beauty of the scriptures is that he is there to help us, that we can cry out to him in the moments when we feel like we don't have faith and we can cry out for him to help us and he is there for you. We can have the, the humble heart of the man in Mark chapter nine, It says, Jesus, I I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me, Lord. You see, the beauty of this is it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is in the strength of the one who it rests in. It is in Jesus. Tim Keller used an illustration of this. I think it's so beautiful and the blessing of faith for us. He says, consider that you're about to fall off a cliff. And you see a branch sticking out the side of a cliff. And as you're falling... How much faith do you need for that branch to save you? The answer is just enough to grab it, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter anything else. You might not have assurance. You, you, you might not really have uh, uh, enough certainty. You might have doubts. You might have fears about that, but you can still be saved if you grab it. You see, the truth is the blessing of faith is not that, that in our doubts and our insecurities in the moments that are darkest, that we have enough strength to hold on to Jesus, but that he holds on to us. And the blessing of faith is that when we know that, when we know that we can cling to Christ and he is clinging stronger upon us than we could ever hold on to him, then what does that do in our hearts? It creates this incorruptible love for him. A love for a God who never leaves you, a love for a God who's never going to drop you. One who's always going to cling to you. That is the blessing of faith in the book of Ephesians. And then Paul gets to the blessing of grace. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace is such a beautiful thing because it's always chasing after us. Grace is such a beautiful thing because it's running after us. Before we were ever born, grace was pursuing us. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 reminds us, that before the foundations of the world, the glorious grace of God was there before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of will, to the praise of his glorious grace grace with which he has blessed us in 
the beloved. Grace was there before you were ever born. Grace was there pursuing you. We have a God who is so gracious to us, so caring to us, so loving to us, that he would pursue us even when we were far from him. And that's what reminds us in, in chapter two of this wonderful grace. That grace is something at its very core is free. But it's more than just that, right? And we get free things all the time. We get free gifts and they don't necessarily uh, are life-changing. <laughs> you know, you go to a networking event, and they give you a little get goodie bag, right? It's free. You take that home and you get the mug and the pin in it. It's great, but that's not life-changing, right? <laughs> that, that's not gonna do anything. It's a free gift, but that's about the extent of it. It didn't really cost you, you anything. It didn't cost them anything. It wasn't really necessary, but it was free. But think of it in this terms. What if you were in a foreign land and you needed an operation to save you and you didn't have the resources for it? It was unattainable. But someone knew you. Someone knew you who had some resources and they liquidated all their assets they became poor so that you might have that operation. Now that is different. Is it a free gift? Yeah, it's free. Was it costly? Yeah, that person became in poverty for you. Was it necessary? Absolutely. If you didn't have that procedure, you would not have lived. That's the grace of God. The grace of God reminds us that it is free. It's absolutely free. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But it was costly to him. And it was absolutely necessary for us. We cannot know him apart from the grace of God. We cannot go from a place, as Ephesians 2 reminds us, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins to being alive with Christ without his grace. And when we're united with him, not only to receive all the spiritual blessings, but Jesus, that also means that, that when we're united to him, he is united to us, that he takes upon everything that we deserve. That is the costliness of God's grace that he would take everything that we so deserve so that we could get all the blessings that are so necessary for us. See, here's why grace is really, I think, the linchpin of the blessings uh, of, uh, towards us in Christ Jesus, the spiritual blessings that he talks about in chapter one. Because when you know the grace of God, here's what it does for your heart. It ends all suspicion of whether or not God might love you. When you know the grace of God, it ends all accusation that you will never be enough for him. When you know the grace of God, it takes away the anxiousness of our souls that says we will never live up. When you know the grace of God, it is the end of comparing yourself to other people. When you know the grace of God, you know that God himself and only him through a very costly and indispensable way has created you and created you to be a new person in him. And he has created work for you to do that only you can do. That is the blessing of grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ, that is scattered throughout Ephesians, this glorious grace that we could be known by God, that he has given up his life. Jesus has done that for us so that we could have life and life to the fullness. And then we come to the final blessing here of his benediction. I think one that characterizes the book of Ephesians so well, the blessing of love. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus, with love incorruptible. You see, this letter is, is uh, all about the love of God. It begins, as we just read, with Paul not only talking about how this church was an encouragement to him because of their love, 
but it begins with the lavishing upon the story of the gospel of how God has loved us. And he has loved us so much that we could be adopted, that we could experience an inheritance. And he continues upon that love in chapter two, and he reminds us of his love for us, that we are now new in him. We have been redeemed by him. And then in chapter three, he, he, he shows us the height of that love in a prayer. In chapter three, he proclaims this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays this prayer for the church, that you would be rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says that in this letter, the love of God, it defies all human limitations. It surpasses all human dimensions. That this morning, the spiritual blessing of knowing Jesus is to know that his love is so great, that the breadth of his love is so wide that no matter who you are this morning, the love of God can reach you. No matter where you come from, God's love can reach you. And the love of Christ, he says, is so long that it stretches from eternity past. That before you were ever born, God was loving you. And God had a plan to pursue you. And he has not forsaken that plan for you. And the love of Christ, the blessing of knowing the love of Christ is so deep that God in Christ on the cross goes to the deepest place to bury our sins forever. That he goes to the depths where we deserve to be to remove our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. And his love is so great, it is so monumental. It is so high above our understanding in a, to the point that it is not a momentary love, it is an everlasting love. And if God has gone to these great dimensions to love us so that we could be known and known by him, and his proposal for us at the end of this letter is that we would then respond to these blessings with an incorruptible love for him. His invitation for us this morning is to see all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ and to allow that to melt our hearts with a deep and affectionate love for him. You know, this is an appropriate way to end this letter for this church. Because the, 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 the church of, uh, uh, at Ephesus uh, has more written about it in the Bible really than any other church. And this is not the last document we have written to them. And as Paul ends with this lingering hope that they would love with an incorruptible love, they had forgotten this. And Jesus comes to them in Revelation to remind them of this. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, I just want to read this. Jesus begins to speak to this church that has just heard this message, this letter. For years ago, had heard this letter, this, this incredible letter of, of the blessings, the spiritual richness of being in Christ and being a community, being the church and living as the church and knowing the love of God. And this is what he says. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles that are not and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but this I have against you, Jesus says, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus looks at this church, he says, guys, you've been faithful in so many ways. You're hardworking, you have great morals, you're resilient, you're devoted, you're committed in a lot of ways, but you have forgotten this. You have forsaken my love. 
you have, you have fallen out of love. And we fall out of love for Jesus, we'll fall out of love for others. You see, the emphasis here for us at the end of this letter is to, is to know that what marks a Christian in this world is our love. The mark of a Christian in this world, is, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, if we do not have love, we have nothing. And to the degree that we love Jesus and, and have that love is to the degree that we can love others. And they had forgotten that. They had forgotten how Jesus proposed to them. They had forgotten that when he got down on a knee, he sacrificed his life for them and he beckons them to do the same, to take up their cross and follow him. They had forgotten that. They had failed to do that. So today, the invitation for us is to, to remind ourselves of all the blessings that Ephesians has taught us, of what it means to know Christ and to be known by him, and how that then lives out in the community of faith. You see, Ephesians tells us this, this beautiful imagery of, of God's love for us in Ephesians chapter five, and that's through the imagery of marriage. And as hard as it is to comprehend, Jesus loves us so much that he weds himself to his church. He loves his church so much that he adores, he loves, he has a, a passion for his people. He has poured out his life for his church. And today, perhaps what we need to do as we come to the Lord's Supper is, is exactly what he calls the church to do in Revelation 2. If our hearts have failed to love him, if our hearts have failed to really grasp just how much he loves us, then the gift of grace is for you through repentance. The gift of grace is for you this morning to be uh, reminded that it's okay. When we fall short, we can admit to Jesus today. And Jesus, there is nothing that will love us like you love us. Jesus, there is nothing that will forgive us when we fail like you forgive us. Nothing. You are the one our hearts long for. And then allow that to lead us back to rejoicing again. Rejoicing in all the spiritual blessings that are already ours in Christ, of how much he loves his church this morning. And allow that to melt away our hearts to a place where we have an incorruptible love for him. A rejoicing in a day where he will look at his bride and he will, uh, Revelation says, he will put the, the, the greatest wedding dress we've ever seen without any blemish. Every bride looks beautiful on their wedding day. And Jesus says, there's nothing that will compare to this day because of how much I love you. His love will be an incorruptible love forever. It will never, our beauty will never diminish or wane in the eyes of Jesus. That's what we have to look forward to. That is the rejoicing that we have with all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, that our beauty will never wane in the sight of Jesus. And he is calling us to not only love him most at the end of this letter, but to be reminded that he has loved us the most. That is not an exaggeration, that is a factual statement that Jesus Christ loves us in that way. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper and as we kind of wrap up this book, let us be reminded this morning of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us be reminded that he has blessed us, church, with every spiritual blessing. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.